Welcome to What They Never Told Us, the podcast where we explore our own personal journeys in the hopes to give you some insight into your own narrative. I'm your host, Sasha, licensed mental health counselor. And I'm your host, Crystal, licensed social worker. Yes, we are mental health professionals. However, we are not experts on anyone else but ourselves. You are the only expert on you. The information shared or discussed on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about something that makes me really pissed off. But the reason I'm pissed off is because we're going to be talking about things like generational trauma, racial trauma, ethnic trauma, and how that affects you as an individual. But before we get into that, uh, how are you doing, Boom? What are you holding in? Um, I'm holding in a lot, to be honest. I I feel like this question, <laughs> the new way that we're phrasing it for the podcast, is really making me very mindful of all of the things that I haven't had an opportunity to say. Because um, mm. I think like whenever I feel like, what am I holding in? I'm sure at some point it'll be something physical, but I feel like it's a lot of thoughts. It's a lot mm. of like questions, experiences, and me trying to make sense of a lot of things. So I'm I'm holding in a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear. I'm literally moving. <laughs> so exciting. <laughs> Um, which is exciting, yes, but also highly nerve-wracking. And what I've been noticing is that I'm experiencing a lot of anxiety because I want to know and control the future. Like, I want to just know. I don't want to leave it to chance. I don't want to be surprised. And I'm having a hard time, like, grounding myself in the present and it's just manifesting itself in so many ways, um, in just funky dreams. And I'm telling you, like, random shit. I had a dream that I met Bad Bunny and he let me hold his hand. And you were the first person that I wanted to call ah! to let you know that Bad Bunny let me hold his hand. Because <laughs> I'm That's like, so I know that you would be <laughs> You know, you know what's so funny? That's hilarious. One, that's hilarious. And out of all people, Bad Bunny. Um, I used to really, and I still do, like, I think he's dope, but I think that it's funny. I was thinking about it this morning. As we've progressed with the podcast, I've been so aware of my feelings and what the things that I really do hold in and the things that make me angry and the things that I, I'm just completely against. Oh God, yes. Yo, it's been changing me. And I think I've been holding in a lot of anger. And the anger is a, it's a, it's a, an effect of the pain that I've experienced in my life. And when I was doing the notes for this episode, um, you know, trauma is always a trigger for me personally, but the, the idea of generational trauma, um, racial trauma, ethnic trauma, it really brings up so much in me because ultimately it's the idea of being invisible, being unseen and what that does to you as a human being. And I think that that's been my experience for a long time. So why this relates to Bad Bunny is because I feel like Bad Bunny could do better. I feel like J Balvin could do better. The fact Mm -hmm. that we as Latinx folks praise these people and we're so happy that like, you know, you know, quote unquote Latinx people are like more involved in pop culture and there's a lot of pride that comes with it. They're, They're white passing. 
and mm-hmm. they're they're harming their people almost the ones who don't look like them um mm-hmm. so i'm angry i agree with you they're causing a lot of harm and there's a lot of thoughts and opinions factual opinions or at least i feel like they're factual opinions about what's going on um So to segue to today's conversation, we are going to be talking about what Sasha mentioned, which was generational trauma and racial and ethnic trauma. But we'll start off talking a bit more about uh, generational trauma, which can be referred to as transgenerational trauma or intergenerational trauma. And that is just the psychological effects that the collective trauma experienced by a group of people has on subsequent generations in that group. Everyone in this world is susceptible to generational trauma, but there are specific populations that are very, very vulnerable um, due to their histories in their respective communities. So when we think about it from the larger collective groups, we think of Black people who were enslaved and brought to the Americas, Native Americans that were killed and displaced from their homeland, Holocaust survivors, and other folks who experience historical atrocities to their people. I would add to that list countries that have been colonized. Mm-hmm. Like third world countries uh, where Absolutely. people come in, pillage, you know, they literally rape and pillage and they take their resources and then they make money off of them. Absolutely. And um, I do want to also specify that although, you know, the the definition that I gave really looks at entire groups of people, this is not something that just affects entire groups of people. This does affect individuals as well. So other types of traumas that can be uh, passed down generationally are things like domestic violence, sexual abuse, hate crimes. Um, and this this is obviously things that are more specific to a particular family or a group or an individual as opposed to the larger group. But I just wanted to mention that because it's not just things that happen to a collective. Mm-hmm. Um, and really what happens is the survivors of the initial trauma, uh, how they react, how they cope is what truly affects how the rest of the generations after them are affected by that specific trauma. So in to give an example, if people live in oppressive circumstances, they can develop survival tactics like learning not to ask for help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the, the last episode that we talked about or feel like they're in, in a constant state of danger or they can repress memories. And all of these things, healthy or not, are passed down from one generation to the next. Um, A lot of times what happens is as a collective, or at least I will say like in America, or sometimes when we experience atrocities like the Holocaust, like people who are Black people who were enslaved and things like that, we as a collective do not heal from those traumas, which is what I'm worried about even with COVID-19. I was like, we're just going to be passing this down. Because we don't heal, a lot of the negative coping mechanisms um, get passed down. And even though a lot of that coping helped the generation who experienced the trauma initially, um, they can cause later generations to have like a fearful, distrustful outlook on life. Um, You know, they might not want to seek help. They may alienate themselves from the support that's needed to overcome whatever it is that is happening. And I find, or this is more so like my personal opinion, that the further 
down the line in terms of generations that you are, the more challenging it is to really understand what the original form, what the original trauma was, right? Because you're so far removed from it. So a lot of times people begin to internalize that as something within themselves that's wrong with them inherently Mm -hmm. as a person, as opposed to acknowledging the trauma that created who they are today. Yeah. So one, I am so happy you spoke about the Holocaust. It was after the Holocaust that a lot of psychologists recognized that, yo, something happens to us as a collective and we need to look into it, right? Like, because we've lived in this society where like everything's up to you, everything's your responsibility. And the fact that one man was able to persuade thousands, I don't know how many people, a shit ton of people (laughs) to kill other people and making them believe that they were less than blew their minds, right? So this just goes to show how much the collective or the systems that we're living in affects us, right? Mm -hmm. So this brings the point to generational trauma, right? Like that's why it is a thing. Researchers did a lot of studies post-Holocaust. This is how they started formulating the the actual term generational trauma. A lot of these children and grandchildren of Holocaust survivors were more likely to have uh, prolonged, like extreme prolonged stress, anxiety, depression, and symptoms of PTSD. So mm-hmm. it's extremely interesting, right? Because you think like, oh, how does that happen? But Crystal was speaking to that point of it just gets passed down in the family. Mm-hmm. And I want to reference the attachment episode that we did last year. I forgot what number it is, to be quite honest. <laughs> um, but if you think about secure attachment, uh anxious attachment or avoidant attachment when you don't have secure attachment crystal is the one who said this you are more likely to experience trauma right Mm -hmm. so you have parents who come from trauma they have a lot of stuff that they haven't dealt with they probably have the symptoms of depression they probably dissociate they probably have a lot of unhealthy coping mechanisms and then you're their child in their bubble Therefore, Mm -hmm. their fears become your fears. Their anxieties Mm -hmm. become your anxieties. And then your world starts turning dangerous. So that's the perception of it, right? You start seeing the world as dangerous because you grow up thinking that the world is dangerous. Even though someone hasn't directly said, this world is dangerous, you're feeling the reactions from your parents the same way you do when you're little. That actually uh, is consequential in you forming the attachment to your parent, whether it's secure or insecure, right? So I just want to say something really quickly about um, my life because my mom came from Colombia. It's a, it's a third world country and she experienced extreme poverty and her mother was extremely abusive to her. My mom started working at the age of five. Um, I don't think my mom ever had a real childhood and my mom experienced abuse on many different levels and she was always very reactive to her world, right? Like she still to this day if she's in a new setting i see her eyes they don't look calm she she's Mm. observing she's she's on alert right yeah she's scanning for something right so her world especially when she had us it needed to be controlled in a certain way and this is what trauma survivors do so as her child i remember being in her world and if it didn't meet her standard which is how conditional love gets set up. But this is also, I'm not blaming my mom. It's just part of the Mm -hmm. process of trauma. Um, 
if it didn't meet her standard, she would be extremely reactive because her brain would go into danger mode, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why I was raised in a house where she reenacted a lot of her traumas, like hitting us when we didn't do something, quote unquote, the right way, or yelling when she was experiencing danger. And then me and my brother were like, what's happening, right? Like we were little, um, or not showing love or giving positive feedback. Like it was all very critical. It was like a, having a micromanager. And I think that trauma survivors they tend to come off as micromanagers, like very extreme because mm-hmm. they so desperately are searching for this idea of safety. And mm-hmm. when you're that child of that person, you're living in their world. And then you start internalizing those things. And like I said, her fears and anxieties became mine. And even though I'm trying to do a lot of work at this point in time to piece apart what's mine and what's hers, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm also very reactive to the world now. I think that people are trying to play me. I get defensive. I am, you know, very scared of not feeling safe. So I always scan my world to get to to that sense of safety. Um, And the main reason is because my mom didn't give me a secure attachment. She didn't know any better. She has, she's still to this idea. I don't think understands to Crystal's point that she dread, she truly experienced trauma and that a lot of her Mm -hmm. actions aren't her own. Right. And she didn't have a secure attachment. So all this is down the line. Um, This is how pervasive it is. Yeah. Even before you mentioned the example of your mom, I was actually thinking a lot about um, the immigrant experience and coming to this country. When we think about um, a lot of times the way that people even get into the United States with these coyotes, like on boats and um, like the actual traumatic experience of crossing the border uh and then also the fear of deportation um so being on constant alert having to always do your best trying to make yourself small right i feel like it Mm. it like in thinking about it in a more thorough sense like a lot of our episodes like a lot of the times when we bring in that cultural piece about being first gen or just like the immigrant experience like a lot of it touches what they've experienced coming to this country. And I did also want to add that when we're talking about the way that things get passed down, uh, Sasha's example was a great way of talking about how, you know, one generation to the next, right? So like from one person to the next. And Sasha has the, I guess, privilege of also being a mental health professional where that she can see her mother and she can begin to analyze and piece apart the pieces that are hers, that are not hers. She's able to see her mother's experience for what it truly was, even though her mother maybe is not able to do that. Um, A lot of times what happens is we're not aware of these things and we just continue to pass that on from generation to generation, right? Like it takes someone like a Sasha to break that generational trauma and make sure that it doesn't get passed down to the next generation. And I also wanted to say that there are scientists and researchers that are actually studying um, the genetics of um, people who experience trauma and how it gets passed down genetically. So I was reading a Psychology Today article that talks about um, all the eggs a woman will carry form in the ovaries while she's a fetus in her mother's womb. So in other words, when your mother was in her grandmother's womb, in your grandmother's womb, uh, she was already carrying you. 
And how does the stress of a grandparent get passed down to a child, get passed down to all of the subsequent children that are going to be born from that particular woman? Um, so uh, there, I didn't really look into it too much, but I do feel that there's a lot more research to be done on um, how does that get passed down generationally and even to bring it back to the more historical piece like being systemically exploited enduring repeated continual abuse racism poverty like all of those things are traumatic enough to cause genetic changes like this has already been studied um especially the act of survival the way that the brain changes if you go back to the first episode that we did on trauma where we talked about the the brain and how it's affected Sasha did a great job of like breaking that down in that episode when you really think about that like once that brain changes it takes a lot of effort to kind of like undo some of those changes if they can even be undone a lot of it takes a lot of work a lot of mental energy to not go back into a stress response over something minor, even though logically you know better. Absolutely. And I love that you brought up the genetic piece because what research has been showing is that genetically, right? So if you think about our tri our gene triggers, um, we may have the gene for lung cancer or heart disease, right? But unless our environment triggers it, that is the only way it turns on mm. within our bodies and we actually start to have these things, right? So that's what a lot of scientists are, like, that's what we're talking about when it comes to, like, gene coding. Like, mm -hmm. what parts of our gene has this disease or this temperament or personality, whatever. Um, so what research is showing is that the reactivity to traumatic events is higher within the children or of the family members who come from generational trauma. So let's say you come from... I don't know, a family down like who has a lineage of just kind of like, I don't know what we would assume a normal family, nothing crazy, didn't experience the Holocaust or poverty, like a family who grew up in America, right? Um, three generations down. And you think about my family and the fact that like they've always had to be on, they, my mom, speaking to your point, always had to be on alert. And then my dad was the same. And I'm sure it gets passed down from the father's genes as well. I heard a podcast that mentioned that so don't quote me on that um mm -hmm. but what happens is that the the markers the genetic markers for that uh reactivity they're more sensitive so you're gonna mm -hmm. immediately experience danger differently um your world just looks different so i do think that there's definitely a genetic piece to this as well which is actual science this is not us making up theories if you don't believe mm -hmm. in the theory don't get me started yeah. on that Absolutely. Yeah. And I will say like this type of like intergenerational trauma, it's to me, it gives me a similar feel to complex trauma, which we've talked about in a previous episode, because it's it's compounding with every generation that it's passed on to. You have the experiences of this initial trauma plus the whatever experiences, whatever personal traumas, like every subsequent generation has gone through. And when we think about what it takes to heal from a specific trauma, um, like even for me in my own therapy, like my therapist is like, we're going to talk about what happened to you. Like this, there's no secrets. There's no 
coding it. Like there's mm-hmm. like we're going to say exactly what happened because the only way you're going to heal is by acknowledging what it is. But when it's generational trauma and you don't know where this started, you don't know what the initial trauma was. Like this is like peeling the layers of an invisible onion. Like where like what where are you going? Um you don't really like know. I want to say that to give people who, especially from marginalized groups, especially when you know that maybe your family or your collective group that you relate to racially, ethnically has experienced trauma, that it may be difficult to understand how it's how it's affected you, why it has affected you. And you may not necessarily be able to pinpoint the exact thing that's happened to you in order for you to resolve it. So I do want people to give themselves like grace and compassion and also work with a therapist that's going to allow for all of those things to just be in the room um whether you understand it or not um to to be able to like process it and when we talk about breaking generational traumas understanding that that's a huge undertaking you may not be able to undo all of it but undoing what you can understanding and learning what you can is a huge step forward absolutely because we're talking about systems right so your family wherever however large or small your family is it's a subsystem of the larger system so if you start there it affects every everything else it affects those people that they interact with right and then so on so on so on like that's the whole point of you know paying it forward um but how are you supposed to pay it forward if you're not even aware um i think that it's very important for us to for those who are aware mm-hmm. to you know and, and mm-hmm. this is a hard this is a heavy burden to carry as well of like teaching right because you're teaching as well as being re-traumatized because like I, as I spoke about my mother earlier, and yes, I can understand her, um, and I can rationalize mm-hmm. things differently, and I do have compassion for her. It does not eliminate my pain, right? So we're re-experiencing this all the time, and that has long-term health effects, regardless. So as much as I want to quote unquote end this with me, I am scared about you know like having children and how's that going to affect them, and am I even capable of doing those things? But that's another story for another day. Um, but I think what trauma really is in the, is something that has happened to us, right? So if you think about these marginalized societies, to your point, um, they, they, as in whoever lives in them and enacts them and is part of them, we don't speak about it or we don't talk about our story because when something happens to us, there's a culprit, right? And when we actually do talk about it, we're going to have to point out that culprit mm-hmm. And in our culture, the culprit never wants to Mm -hmm. acknowledge what they actually did. So therefore, like, they end up throwing it back into our faces where all of a sudden, like, we are are victimizing ourselves and we and they make us hold that stress on our own. And because we don't have, like, that secure attachment, Mm -hmm. you know, the real sense of safety, we start thinking maybe there's something wrong with me. And that's generational trauma. That's something where, like, it's pervasive, it's long-lasting, right? And the reality of the world that we live in right now, especially, um, I don't know, about 100 years from now, is that the culprits usually are the people who are gatekeepers in the system that we live in, who are giving us validation of, like, rules and laws and the and creating the very systems that we are living in in our everyday that invalidate us each and every single day in very indirect ways. 
And it's really hard because what that does is it leaves you to be re-traumatized once more. And if you don't know that you're being traumatized from the beginning and then this is just your life, how the hell are you ever going mm-hmm. to understand it Absolutely. and be able to and I mean, get out of it? I mean, we talk a lot about how like things come back to like capitalism, patriarchy, you know, institutions and things like that. Like the system is not broken. The system was built exactly the way that those gatekeepers, the ones in power, have wanted it to be and that's why Mm -hmm. people like audrey lord have said self-care is an act of political warfare because they're like the people who've created these systems they don't want us to acknowledge our trauma they Mm. gaslight us into believing that it's our fault because one they don't want to take responsibility but two they know that if we as a collective heal and take back power that we would overpower them in some way and that they would be losing something so i do feel like you know i'm not trying to be like some community organizer like let's revolt or anything like that but i do want to say that your healing (sighs) as an individual with your family like it is an act of political warfare it is it's it's important because that's the only way that we'll be able to move forward as individuals and as a society yeah And it's so funny to me because it's not funny. Mm -hmm. It pisses me the fuck off, to be quite honest. It's it's laughable. That's what it is. It's not funny. It's laughable Mm -hmm. at how vulnerable those gatekeepers are, right? Because when things don't work the way they've intended it to, they freak the fuck out. So I love the podcast This American Life, and it's one of the more recent episodes. It's called Talking While Black. And it's specifically on critical mm-hmm. race theory, how the whole summer of 2020, like, remember how BLM and George Floyd and, like, people were outraged. And the backlash of that, of how now you have, of how parents now in these predominantly white schools don't want their white children learning about critical race theory. And why is that? So in the podcast, they interviewed a woman who was trying to ban a book written by a black man who wasn't trying to be racial in any way. He was just talking about his life growing up as a Black boy in America. And she undermined his whole experience to the point where she said, if these things really happened, when they had, when they did really happen, these were, and she couldn't even live in a world where that was possible, right? And her whole defense on wanting to ban the book, which is purely a book on being awkward as a kid. He just happened to be an awkward Black kid. Her whole point on banning the book was because she didn't white. She didn't white. Woof. Freudian slip. She, <laughs> she didn't want her white children to feel Mm-mm. bad about themselves for the history of this country. And the reality is that most people within a power position or who are gatekeepers are white. They're the ones creating the laws. They're the ones creating this system. And when anything goes even if it's truth, right? Even if the truth doesn't go their way and they feel a little bit discomfort, it goes right back to what I was saying that they immediately throw it back onto the people who have been oppressed and say, you're the vic- you're you're the one putting yourself into the victim role without recognizing how they're re-traumatizing people. And then they claim to be the victims and they claim, you know, that they cry wolf basically. And that shit pisses me the fuck off, especially now with what's going on with critical race. Honestly, I think that white fragility is just, you know, when like when you are 
trying to distract someone from like the actual problem. I think white fragility, because that's what everything that you said is giving me, like white fragility um, or just any sort of fragility. Right. Like when we're talking about like this hurts people's feelings, like I don't want my kids to feel bad, blah, blah, blah. I think all of it is Mm -hmm. just almost like an excuse, like softening the blow or distracting from the fact that people don't want to lose power. Because I think it just comes back down to power and control. And I think like fragility is just a it's a it tunes into people's feelings. It's emotional. Right. So it's kind of like a way to to talk about humanity in a way that we're like it it, it uses humanity to disguise mm-hmm. what the actual issue is. And that it's that people don't want to lose power and control, because if we did acknowledge this country's history, we know that it wouldn't be functioning the way that it is today. Absolutely. And all it takes is a little bit of awareness, right? And so so that people don't think that I'm, or that Crystal and I are only talking about race mm-hmm. and like white people and black people in America. Like think about family systems, a very small group. There's always that one person in the family who can never own up to what it is that they bring to the table, right? Think about how much more stress and how much more responsibility that puts on the other members to actually function within that family right so there's Mm -hmm. always that one person who wants to play oh woe is me i do everything and you're looking at them like no you don't do much like i don't understand where this is coming from and then you know that it stresses you out to think about them it stresses you out to be around them you're you're getting scared to even talk around them right like so now you're at a high level of stress and then they say one and then god forbid you tell them something honestly about your experience of them they flip out they can't handle it. It's all you. You're the one who's weird. And then that's how, you know, like black sheep get created or that's how people just kind of hide into their corner. This is the same thing that's going on within the, the larger system in our world, right? It's not something that's mm-hmm. happening solely because of race. It's happening because it's in human nature. It's, it's, it's in our nature to want power and control, to Crystal's point. And how people react when they don't have power and control shows exactly who they are right and if we keep allowing the system of power and control and having that only be our goal we're always going to be living in this system like we have to start thinking with regards to power and control yes because i we all essentially need some of that but what does my level of power and control do to other people and how does it affect their everyday living like we don't think about that we even though we're not only talking about race we do want to talk about race and ethnic trauma because just even to all of the things that we've been talking about, obviously the people who are not empowering control do have, do experience a lot of traumatic experiences that they also carry with them. So when we talk about racial trauma or race-based traumatic stress, and this is according to the Mental Health America website, um, we're talking about the mental and emotional injury caused by encounters with racial bias, ethnic discrimination, racism, and hate crime. So in the U.S., um, historically, like, Black people have experienced this, Indigenous people, um, people of color, like, where they're the most vulnerable to this race-based trauma because in the U.S., we live in a nation that functions off of white supremacy. If you are not white, you are susceptible to any sort of 
race-based discrimination. And this has detrimental psychological effects in people because it caused similar symptoms to PTSD, like depression, anger, replaying the incidents over and over again, physiological symptoms, so changes in the body, hypervigilance, low self-esteem, repression or minimization of what happened. Um, And I will add to that, that it can come from a direct experience. So if you, as the individual, were on the receiving end of some sort of discrimination or microaggression, et cetera, or a vicarious one. So in this age of social media, we see, and as, you know, like whenever we have a major event, we're scrolling through our timeline and it's the same videos over and over and over again. And that goes into vicarious trauma where we were not the ones who explicitly experienced that particular trauma, but we're seeing it and we're emotional, we're social beings, right? So it hurts us to see these things on our screens, on TV, and it affects us because a lot of times these people look like us, right? Um, So we can imagine that we could also potentially be on the receiving Mm -hmm. end of these incidents. Absolutely. And I think one of the, the main points of that is that when you see people who look like you going through this, it doesn't, what it does is it opens up your eyes and it makes a possibility of you going through it a reality. So now you're, now you're always, almost always preparing yourself for that to possibly happen. The same way, let's say women, right? When I'm walking in the dark, I don't know if it's going to help, but I take my keys out and I put them around my knuckles, right? Like, it's just like this con- like immediate reaction of what you learn. This is generational trauma also mixed in with racial trauma, right? Mm-hmm. I will say that there's a few ways that you, you can look. experience racial trauma. Um, and the first is like individual racism. So some examples um, are like anti-Asian hate crimes following the COVID-19 pandemic, which we're still seeing to this day. Um, because just this year, um, a woman was tragically killed, um, I believe, in the train. Uh, so anti-Semitism, uh, microaggressions in the workplace, um, even things like, I mean, I guess we have laws now, but even Black people mm. not being able to wear their hair naturally because it's seen as unprofessional. There's uh, systemic racism. So an example is black people make about make up about 12% of the country's population but around and this number might be different this is just going off the source that i saw but around 33% of the total prison population i feel like i've seen numbers go as high as 40% of the total prison population mm. um so that's something systemic right because we are incarcerating black people at a higher rate than any other race in this country or redlining which ranked neighborhoods all around the country giving higher marks or more desirability to white neighborhoods or neighborhoods that were predominantly white um, and marking those with minorities in it as red as risky investments which led to the underdevelopment of these areas because people couldn't get like bank loans and things like that Um, so those are examples of systemic racism That that's so interesting, uh, and I am angry listening to it because I I feel like it's so obvious. Like the writing's on the wall, and everybody wants to fucking pretend like there's no fucking wall. Period. Like no, not even a wall for there to be writing on. Like there's just nothing there, and it really bothers me because as you as you were listing those stressors, right? Like the way 
our system has been racist, it pisses me off because you think about how they've been removed from access of any kind of wealth through legal laws, right? So these are the gatekeepers, again, the ones implementing these systems and implementing a system that doesn't work for a specific group of people. And let's just take away the stressor of of actually having violence put against you because of who you are. Let's just let's just talk economically, mm-hmm. right? And what how that stresses you out in the long term. If you aren't giving people, this started from post Civil War, right? Forty acres and a mule. It wasn't given to those black soldiers. It wasn't given to black people. It wasn't given to the people. Like Jim Crow started after the Civil War mm-hmm. because it was the South's way of still being racist and getting free labor at that point. And they made the most ridiculous prison laws and black men would go to prison for nothing and they weren't allowed to vote. So you think about what that does long-term. It creates a culture where people don't have access Mm -hmm. and people are in Mm -hmm. long-term poverty against their own will. So now you're in long-term poverty and now everyone knows how stressful it is to fucking have to try and work or be denied work or, you know, make ends mm-hmm. meet. Like, you're going to tell me that's not fucking traumatic? Just being poor alone with like in a blank slate in this world is so traumatic. How are you going to tell me Absolutely. that this doesn't exist? I agree. And it just fucking and, um, me. Because under that umbrella of like racial trauma is direct traumatic stressors. So the traumatic impacts of living within a society of structural racism, which goes back to exactly what you were saying about like the economic disadvantages um, or, you know, just even being on the receiving end of racial attacks. Like you have to understand that racial trauma comes from all directions. Like it's, again, it's like peeling the layers of an onion. This one's not invisible. This one's very visible. We choose to make it invisible. Well, not me. I want to see it, even if it hurts. But it's coming from every angle. Like, there's nowhere, like, there's nowhere where it feels truly safe. Um, because everywhere you go, like, there's some sort of disadvantage. And I don't know why this came to mind. But even, like, things like, I know this is silly because I always bring up social media. But even on TikTok... Like, of so many Black creators have created the most popular trends on social media, the most popular, like, dances and things like that. And there are white people who copy what they do. They receive credit. And there are people on TikTok who have become famous, have made money, have had movie deals, brand deals, off of becoming popular from copying a Black person's content. So imagine, like, even in the most, like, simple, like, fun, just, like, I just want to go on this app, have a good old time, create a dance. Even there. Even there. Like, this is supposed to be fun. Like, even on the simplest of things, yep. like, it, and, and to, to what we've been talking about, to these systems. And it's just, like, there's nowhere you can go where it's safe. Mm-hmm. Which is why I think that a lot of cultures that come from groups that have been traumatized or they've been marginalized one way or another have this uh, culture of secrecy as well, right? Because the only way you can really get over it is if you actually talk about the issue, right? But how are you supposed to talk about the issue when the person doing it to you is convincing you that you're crazy? That's one. 
So then what we tend to do is we internalize it as our own shortcomings or we externalize it and we believe that there's something wrong with everyone else. We close our world mm-hmm. off, right? That's another response to trauma because you were talking about isolation. Because we can't handle what it is that it brings up for us, like for us, right? The pain, because I spoke about pain. I live with it every day. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go away, but there's a way to approach it that makes it better, right? Um, and then you think about our parents and you think of going back to generational trauma, mm-hmm. They were just trying to survive, right? Like they it, they didn't even have the leisure to, to to think about this and to really understand their world. So it's really hard to actually bring this to light now to to people who who've had years in their families just not talking about shit. And it's so interesting because it reminds me of that that movie Encanto. It's like mm-hmm. really popular now. Um, you know how like we don't talk about Bruno. Like why the re- and I love it because it, it really shows what happens in like third world countries and mm-hmm. the, the movie is based in Colombia and yes there's a little bit of pride there, um, but it talks of what it essentially is doing is it's talking about capitalism right like the movie starts off they're running mm-hmm. away from people who are like burning their village down no one talks about who's the one burning the village down but we have an idea right it's based in a third world country and then they don't talk about Bruno because he knows something. He has a truth that nobody else wants to acknowledge because we've learned to create secrets and just kind of live with these things in shame. Because when we bring it to light, we're not validated. We're crazy. And Mm -hmm. God forbid we bring it to light and we're right. We're somehow blamed for it. Right. So we end up like shunning those people who can't help but see it. And the reality is that it's, it's not anybody within the system per se. It's something that has happened to them. Right. Like capitalism is happening to us. Imperialism happened to us. Having resources stolen happened to us. Being made to feel that we are less than compared to another race in this world happened to us. So it's it makes me laugh because all we need to do is just bring that to light and validate that in each and every one of us. Because I think that we all know that that's the truth. But we're so scared to bring that to light because on the flip side, Mm -hmm. you're met with so much opposition that you'd rather just shut the fuck up, right? And then you're silenced, therefore re-traumatizing you, which sucks. But um, it just, what you were talking about reminded me of why we decide to be quiet, why we just rather put our heads down, why we just say, okay, you know what? It is what it is. I'm going to work yeah, hard. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it is business. a very challenging position to be in. And that's why I think, like, when it comes to us healing as a group like it takes a very strong heart and a lot of like bravery to one see once you see things you can't unsee things um so I think like once you open your eyes up to it you have to realize like now I have to live with this and I think that people understand that with seeing comes some sort of doing right so like you have to do something about it you either have to acknowledge it and acknowledge your role and change yep. your behaviors yep. or you I, like I don't even know what happens if you don't see like <laughs> I think that people realize that once you are made aware <laughs> of something that there is like some sort of consequence that comes after it that's going to make you feel uncomfortable and I think that people have so much fear mm. of what seeing means like what's the aftermath of seeing and I think that that's why a lot of times we do get stuck and we have people who you know why no one's talking about Bruno because they know that if they talk about Bruno they're gonna have to acknowledge 
the truth and they're going to have to take some sort of action, right? Whatever that is for mm-hmm. those truths. Um, so, and I think that the mm-hmm. Latinx culture is huge. Um, I only speak to, to our culture. I don't know if it exists within other ethnic groups or racial groups where there is a huge culture of secrecy, whether it's, you know, um, something that happened historically or just like even amongst the family. And that kind of reminds me like just to what we were talking about earlier, intergenerational trauma. What happens when we keep those secrets and then we pass those secrets down or we even pass down that culture of secrecy, how we're harming people for years, gen- literally generations to come. Mm-hmm depression it just brings up fear anxiety Mm -hmm. um it takes away your authentic self because you're worried with other things there's so many things that you're not learning on how to live a fully fulfilled life at least what i think yes a fully fulfilled life looks like because i'm still on that journey (laughs) right but i know that there's 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 a reality to it there's a truth to it is what i want to say and i i feel like we're removed from that so much because of traumas, because of um, the fact that racial trauma is a thing, ethnic trauma is a thing, right? Like how people react to the differences and when you're different and you know it, what do you do with it? Like when you're not, mm-hmm. like when you move left or right or up or down, it still right. feels wrong. So what? H- how do you hold this, Absolutely. right? Um, I know that we've talked a lot about what generational trauma and racial trauma uh, look like. And with these trauma episodes, we really are not coming from a place of trying to find quick fixes and things like that, because we understand that this work is not done by listening to this podcast. This podcast Mm. is just bringing some level of awareness uh, and education about these particular topics. We do believe wholeheartedly believe like our introduction says that this is not that personal therapy you have to do this work with a licensed professional that's going to work specifically with you um but what i do want to say about this is that in order to heal and address these types of traumas we really do need to take and this is a message to any therapists or mental health professionals that are listening but also to those on the receiving end, that we do need to take a different approach to working with marginalized communities and people of color. Because what we're trying to say is that it's not just the individual that's in the room. Even in therapy where you're talking about very personal issues, you have to think about all of the people that are in the room, like your parents, that one teacher from third grade, your best friend, that ex that Mm -hmm. truly broke your heart all of those people are in the room with you because all of those people have colored and influenced your world so when we're talking about racial trauma or generational trauma which we've explained throughout this episode is compounding right and there's layers to it right whether we know what the original trauma was or you know even with racial trauma that it's kind of coming at you from all different angles and it could be very challenging to find the place where you feel safe you have to really look at the entirety of all of those experiences and you have to um one as a individual be able to begin to feel comfortable or work with a therapist that can help you feel comfortable to bring all of that into the room and as a mental health professional if you are providing therapy to hold space for all of those different pieces um, and help to understand how they all interrelate and how they've shaped this person's world healing from 
racial trauma, intergenerational trauma, it does take a very radical approach. And I know that for all of us who have gone to school for this, all of us mental health professionals, that it's not like really what we're taught. And we, a lot of like our theories and our approaches are really centered on the white man and how to help them, or at least white women. And there's validity to that. And I think that there is some some level of experience that is universal to all people when we're talking about these compounding traumas. We really have to be radical, be different, think about it in a, in a new way. Um, and I know we talked a little bit about it when we were speaking with Marvin Tolliver, who was a guest on our podcast last year. But I want to make sure that we are really understanding all of the things that are in the room in order to effectively heal, heal for ourselves and heal as a, as people in this world. As a collective. Yeah. I think what comes to mind when you say that, and first of all, the fact that you don't want to do one-on-one counseling is hilarious to me. You're so good at it. Uh, Second, you know, radical to me sounds like this huge thing, like, like this huge step you have to take. And it kind of is. Um, but at the same time, it's a little more simple. And I think that human beings tend to complicate the simplicities of our lives. Mm-hmm. What I think we need to do is actually confront this. Mm-hmm. Whether you're the therapist in the room, whether you're the person who is listening to this podcast, whether you have this weird feeling, like you have to confront it because that's actually very radical. Because the confronting piece is something that has been taken away from us mm-hmm. due to these generational traumas that have inflicted on us. Right. So the radical piece isn't necessarily you exerting an obscene amount of force or Mm. effort. The radical piece is you going against something, a system that has been constantly pushing down on you and you saying, no, I'm not going to do that. Right. And it feels huge. But the reality is that it feels so huge because you have been made to feel that you don't have the right to do that. But guess what? you do. So yes, be radical. Yes, confront it. Yes, make people around you aware. And I will say this. There are some people who have hit plateaus in our world and they sometimes can't come back. I'm a big believer in that. I'm not saying that it's absolutely impossible. I'm just saying that I've seen a lot of that in my life. So you should definitely expend that energy in speaking with people who are open and willing to listen to hear you out and willing to understand you, right? And then that's how you create larger collectives who are all on the same path mm-hmm. that say, you, so you are. So you don't feel like the oddball outfits. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you to everyone who's there made it this far into the episode. We really appreciate the fact that you've been able to sit with these <laughs> truths to open your eyes to these topics and to really begin to understand Um, the world that we live in. And, you know, like just the fact that you're listening to this podcast means that you're open to healing and we love to see it. Uh, So definitely make sure to follow us on Instagram Mm -hmm. and and TikTok at Never Told Us Pod. And if you want to just shoot us an email, uh, let's send us a message, something a little more in depth, you can email us at nevertoldthispod at gmail.com. And don't forget to come back in two weeks so we can continue to tell you what they never told us. Продолжение